Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup, Wednesday, September 7th. Pleased to bring you Jim Carroll, Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Toroso Investments. Uh, Jim is here to explain a lot of things that I feel like a retail investor, especially as it pertains to options trading, needs to know. So Jim, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Great. So did a little LinkedIn lurking, as I like to call it on your career and your background. And I noticed, for one, that you have a liberal arts uh, undergrad, me as well. And then what I thought found more interesting was your psychology background uh, at Claremont. And I really wanted to dig into how that degree in, has proved useful in identifying behavioral patterns when you're investing or trading. So... The short version of that long story is that I actually started in economics as an undergrad, thinking that that was the pathway to some career in business. Um, I'm the son of a career army officer, so we moved around a lot, and I, I didn't really have a business uh, role model in my father, um, so I went off to school and started studying economics. But one of my first professors, I vividly remember saying, assume rational behavior, right? One of the fundamentals of economic theory. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know any better. I scratched my head and said, wow, I don't know who this guy hangs out with, but all I see around me are people going crazy. Um, I ended up taking an elective class in the psychology department and said, this is much more interesting. It was a, a class in organizational behavior. And uh, so I switched majors, graduated with a psychology degree. And, um, you know, later, <laughs> the whole field of behavioral economics uh, developed. And it kind of fit right in with what I had already known. And I've been adding to it ever since. Right. It really does feel like you were ahead of the curve a little bit. And this, or at least your background, has become more useful in the last 15 to 20 years? I would say so. So your Twitter handle is Vixologist, which is perfect for these circles. I've had Steve Sears on, who has claimed himself as Vix's uncle. Uh, don't care to do a DNA test there. <laughs> uh, I've had Adam Warner on who his in his Vix bot or in his bio, he has in Vix we trust. And so now we have you. And I know you are specialized with the exchange traded products. So to start, can you walk in a retail investor through what those are? Um, and then we can get into some common misconceptions around them. Sure. And just a little bit of background. Um, and and Steve and Adam. I've, I've gotten to know both of them, uh, wily veterans of early innings of volatility as as something that people actually pay attention to and, and use to guide their investing. Um, I came around to it in late 2014, 2015. It seems really quaint at the time I was looking at the investing landscape and thinking, gee, equity multiples 
are starting to get toward the high end of their historical ranges and interest rates are starting to get toward the lower end of their historical ranges, that doesn't bode well for future returns out of the, the, the typical stock and bond asset classes. So maybe I better hunt around and see what else I can find. I'd done a bunch of research in the commodity space and wasn't completely satisfied with the opportunities there and really kind of tripped over uh, some academic papers uh, about volatility and ways to use volatility and uh, VIX futures as a way to uh, get access to a different return stream. And Wall Street being its inventive self had come out with some packaged ways to invest in VIX futures. Uh, the first product out was VXX, uh, which is still around, although Barclays has kind of messed that up. And we can talk about that if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then XIV, which was uh, VXX is a, is, a, is a long volatility exposure. So you own a long position in the underlying VIX futures. XIV was the flip of that, uh, shorting the front months of VIX futures to give you inverse exposure. And uh, and then there were some other products around that, TVIX, UVIXI. Uh, so I was intrigued by what you might be able to do uh, managing these products in some systematic fashion. Um, I very much am a believer in using a systematic approach to investing. Um, I have three models that I run that invest across asset classes in those models, excluding volatility, but uh, investing across domestic and international equities, fixed income, uh, commodities to a certain extent. And they're all rules-based. And so I was uh, intrigued by the possibility of identifying a rules-based approach to either long or short exposure to volatility through the VIX futures, through the exchange traded products that were out there. Um, and so that's really what got me involved using those products and discovering that, um, you know, they, uh, as I say to my clients, volatility can be volatile. Uh, so there's, there's no free lunch. Um, you can be invested in these things and be up or down 10% in a day without trying too hard. And so they're not really for everybody, uh, but they are an interesting uh, diversifier from my perspective. I agree. I think it's another arrow in your quiver. If I got, if I have that. Yes. You've got that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one. It's not your only one. It shouldn't be your only one, or else you have an appetite for pain. But it is definitely something, and especially in this current volatility landscape, something that can help smooth out, smooth over a lot of edges. I feel like, and what you alluded to in the beginning, Wall Street tends to provide, meaning that they, there will always be some product if you look closely enough. There's something for you that you know some kind of product out there and i think among retail traders 
especially when you look at exchange traded products and futures, they get glossed over. So to help you know cut through that, what are some common misconceptions about these products and futures? Well, I think um, primarily it's it's and and I I don't mean to sound pejorative, but I think primarily that the issue is ignorance. Um, you know, it's a little bit like in, investing any way you want to look at it. Uh, if you want to be a doctor, you've got to go to medical school, you've got to do a residency, you've got to be an intern. Um, you know, if you want to fly a plane, you've got to go through training, get a license. Uh, but anybody can open an account at TD Ameritrade or wherever you want to do it and start slinging VIX futures. <laughs> slinging. Well, and, uh, and, and or, or options for that matter, right? Robinhood. Uh, and and all the meme stock stuff that we've seen rise and fall. Um, I think the challenge for investors looking at the volatility space, as I sometimes refer to it, and particularly the the exchange traded products, you really need to take the time to uh, research what they do, how they do it, uh, what the challenges can be, you know what the expected range of of movement can be, um, and you know if you if you still want to engage in the use of these products, um, I would say you know you need to start small because the the you know the the misperception the the misperception when I originally got involved was that you know you buy these short volatility products xiv was the monster back in 2016 and 2017 because they just go up um short volatility is what most people are most of the time mm -hmm. because if you own stocks or you own the s p 500 you own the qqqs uh, you are inherently short volatility right uh, they go up uh, and they go up most steadily when volatility is low and stable. Uh, they begin to gyrate uh, volatility uh, spiking or crashing. Um, and, and people really don't understand that if they're involved in the securities markets, be it stocks, bonds, commodities, whatever you want, uh, if you are long those things, you are short volatility. So you've already got exposure. The question is, you know, do you understand what exposure you have? And are you doing something to manage it if that exposure is taking you outside of your comfort zone? Um, and and <laughs> using volatility exchange traded products to get exposure, either short or long volatility, can very quickly take you out of your comfort zone. And I don't think the average retail investor has an appreciation for that unless they've taken the dive into the pool with the rest of us. Right. I think that does articulate though, or at least clear up some of the scariness of, you know, if you are long equities, you are short volatility, little phrases like that. They, they help. They, they help someone at least take, like you said, take that first step into the pool. Um, and one of, I think personally, the best ways to do that is cultivating a social media feed where there are people way smarter than 
yourself that you can learn from. And I think you, you know, your Twitter is, is one of those. However, you know, if they look on your, your site, they're going to see a flurry of different terms and that could, you know, again, free somebody up. I just want to walk through a couple that, you know, I did like a five minute scroll through on your Twitter and just a brief one or two sentence explanation of them for anyone listening that can next time they see it and they look at your chart that you put up or, or, or whatnot, they have a little bit of an idea. First one, again, these have no connective tissue really, or some do, some don't, but they're just terms I feel like social media uses a lot that would help explain a lot of you know what they're trying to talk about. So first one will be VWAP or VWAP. <laughs> VWAP or yeah, VWAP, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> so um, volume weighted average price. The underlying notion here is that if you understand where the bulk of the people who have bought something that what, what what price they paid over some time period you might get a sense of whether they're inclined to be buyers or sellers given where the price is today um, there are a number of resources out there um, my favorite on this topic is a guy named brian shannon Pretty sure his handle is at Alpha Trends, mm -hmm. um, and he's written the book, and he's about to come out with another one. Um, but you know, I I learned about VWAP or VWAP, whatever you however you want to pronounce it, a number of years ago, um, and I keep an eye on it. You know, for example, we had this rebound in the equity markets starting, what, six weeks ago or so, um, maybe almost two months now. And it got up to a couple of places. Um, one was the trailing 200-day moving average for the S&P 500. And I think a lot of people rightly look at that and say, that's just a line. You know, what does that have to do with anything? Who cares about the 200-day moving average? Well, the answer is if somebody does happen to care about it, then, you know, that that might have an impact on trading decisions for institutions. Um, but the other line that was intersecting there was the volume weighted average price from the high last December. And so you were getting to a place where people who had been underwater were getting back to even and if they were nervous about whether the market was going to keep going higher or turn around and go lower, you know, maybe they were inclined to be sellers when you got close to that VWAP price. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's nothing works all the time. It's, you know, kind of a, a weather vane, um, but it's something that, you know, I, I have a chart that shows me where that is from different points in time. And sometimes it's useful, even if it's just to say, okay, heads up. We, mm -hmm. we might be getting to a level that some people care about. I'm very glad you brought up the S&P's 
200 day because that's exactly what uh, our senior VP of research, Todd Salamone, called out this past, well, Tuesday for, for his Monday morning outlook that that went live yesterday mm-hmm. as, you know, this is a point where we are. Uh, and like you said, it's just more of like a heads up, heads up. This is coming a road sign, if you will. So another one I want, another term I want to talk about is breadth or breadth. Mm-hmm. So when, when, uh, when, when someone clicks onto your, and you're talking about, look at the breadth on this chart, what, what are you talking about? So uh, let's just, again, use the S&P 500 as an example, right? It's an index of 500 stocks. And when people talk about breadth statistics, what they're generally talking about is let's take a look, let's take an inventory of those 500 stocks and see how they're doing. You know, if the, if, if the index, as an example, is making a new high, but um, most of those stocks, or let's just say, you know, more than half of those stocks are not yet making new highs, then, you know, that's what some people might refer to as a breadth diversion. You You want to see, or divergence, you want to see when an index is making a new high, you want to see that the majority of the underlying stocks are also doing that. Um, and you can apply that to, you know, any index you Anything. want, mm-hmm. the QQQs, the Russell 2000 small cap. Um, and there are a number of ways to measure breadth. Um, some people look at the percentage of stocks trading above a particular moving average, it might be the 20 day, the 50 day, the 200 day. Um, but it's as a category, it's a way to assess what's going on with all of the index constituents. Mm-hmm. And and is that giving you a message that's different than what the index is doing? You can flip it around and say, geez, the S&P is getting crushed. It's making new lows. But when you look at some of the underlying data for breadth, you can see that you know the the let, let's just pick the number of stocks above the 50 day moving average mm-hmm. you know that that typically will come crashing down when the S&P comes crashing down but maybe that's started to turn around even as the S&P is making new lows you know if you go back to the march bottom in 2020 there were several breadth indicators that gave you a hint that maybe things were going to turn around. There's obviously never a guarantee, but again, it's it's kind of a way to check the weather. I'm trying to find it right now. I actually saw a tweet today that was saying, I think only 20% of the S&P 500 is above its 20-day moving average at some point. I think that might've been Andrew Thrasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like you said, that hopefully that can explain, you know, can articulate something when they see that. And just again, like, you know, another marker to to note. Well, so, and sometimes sometimes what it says is, you know, if you look historically, you'll see where, you know, when uh, uh, when the percentage of stocks above the 20 day moving average gets down below 10 
you know, so you have fewer than 10% of the stocks trading mm -hmm. above their 20 day moving average. And historically that tends to be, you know, a, a sign that you're at or near a bottom. Mm -hmm. Conversely, yeah, when you've got, you know, 95% of stocks trading above their 20 day moving average, it's, it's harder to get much better than that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it, it, it can give you a clue that, you know, we, we've kind of gone as far in one direction or the other as we can reasonably expect. It doesn't mean you're going to turn around on a dime. You know, you could go sideways for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's it, it can be a useful gauge of underlying sentiment. That just kind of gave me an idea article. I'm going to reach out to, to one of our quants here and see if he can find some historical data on that. You might have just written my next article. There you go. Nice. So I'm gonna take you off the hot seat now, as far as in, as far as the terms, and I do want to you know get some macro commentary from you here. We have a Fed meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. It's the last standard expiration of the quarter. Energy crisis in Europe. Fed um, beige book stuff today. Without offering any specific advice or position. How would you suggest options traders proceed in the coming weeks and months? Well, let me address that by summarizing the conversations I've been having with clients. Mm -hmm. um, we appear to be in a period of above average volatility and one of the ways that I look at that is to look at a chart of the VIX, the, the so-called fear index, and slap a longer-term moving average on that, a one-year moving average. Mm -hmm. And as I look at a history of the VIX, which goes back to 1991 or so, so um, really quick, one question. When you say one-year moving average, would that mean 252? 252 trading days. Got it. Got it. And so uh, just just as a, again, sort of a, a weather vane, when that one-year moving average is above 20, the, the long-run average for VIX is about 19. The long-run median is 17-ish. When, when that one year moving average is above 20. It it coincides with periods uh, where the equity market has problems. COVID took us above that. Um, we got down below it briefly, uh, but we're back above it again. And so what I've what what I'm telling clients is that. We can expect, you know, as an example from our tactical models, we can expect our tactical models to be more active, uh, to to be more responsive to changes in the market. Um, and I have some trading buddies as well uh, that I engage with, and basically they've all shortened their expected time frame for trades. Interesting. Because things are just moving 
more quickly in both directions than we saw, you know, say in most of 2021. Um, and, and so I think that anybody who's, um, nervous <laughs> needs to shrink their time frames. If you're an active investor, you've probably got a relatively short time frame anyway. Um, but I think people need to be prepared for continuing volatility in the market. Um, and so if you want to be a long-term investor, if you want to be a strategic buy and hold investor, that's fine. Uh, particularly if you've got a long time frame, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going to be investing for another 30 or 40 years, that's great. Um, you know, keep putting money into the market. Just recognize that, uh, you know, to the extent we've had some drawdowns and volatility so far this year, uh, expect that that's going to continue for some period of time and just factor that in. Make sure that you've got the discipline and the patience uh, to weather uh, another, you know, potential down leg in this market that some people have characterized as a bear. Mm -hmm. Very well said. And I, I think many are heeding your advice when you look at weekly options volume. I mean, it's through the roof. Um, now, maybe that's not the sole indicator, but perhaps. Jim, as we wrap up here, uh, I, 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 the most important question is coming up here. Uh, I know you're down in the low country in Charleston, South Carolina. What is your favorite restaurant in the city? Oh, wow. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, the, the, the sort of landmark restaurant is Hall's Chop House. Mm -hmm. I was hoping um, to say that. <laughs> And it is quite the scene as well. So for people visiting Charleston, you can't go wrong uh, at at Halls. Um, but there are a number of other ones. Zero George is a great place. Um, Husk, Snob. Um, you know, Ch Charleston is a great food city. Uh, Rodney Scott's Barbecue. Mm -hmm. Love Rodney. Um, and, um, you know, so... You almost can't go wrong uh, eating out in Charleston. Um, and, and you know, my son's coming down. He's a big foodie. Um, I'm sure we're going to have some great meals. That's awesome. I would add Pugin's Porch on there. Been been going there for some time. It's actually right next to Husk. Right. And, yeah, I mean, you, you really can't go wrong. I uh, I've been going down to Kiowa my entire life. And, uh, you know, the, the stops into Charleston, they, they, it was funny. I never really appreciated them as a kid because I just wanted to be on the beach. I wanted to go, you know, play sports and everything like that. But now that I think I've developed my culinary tastes a little bit, I'm, I'm always pumped to be down in Charleston. It's a great spot. Yeah, it really is. And last but not least, you know, I, I love Twitter accounts that have some personality and charisma to them. Yours is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, I like when you're talking music and blues and everything like that. If you're a blues newbie like me, give one Spotify playlist that they should queue up right after this episode, you know, to kind of get acquainted with. So that's actually easier than you might think. 
and I'm going to make sure I get the name right. Um, there's a uh, there's a guy on Twitter who is basically a blues historian. Uh, he grew up in Chicago. Um, let me look up his actual handle. I think it might be. Uh, let's see. Yes, Chicago Blues History uh, at Shy Blues History. Okay, straight into the point. And uh, he put up a fantastic playlist called Blues Before Sunrise that's on Spotify. Okay. And for any blues newbies, I would uh, highly recommend that. It'll give you a good taste of all of the great blues artists from uh, different times and cities. Uh, but that would be a great start. You know, head over there after uh, after this episode and, and, and get familiar. But Jim Carroll, Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Toroso Investments. Did I pronounce that correctly, first of all? Yes. Toroso. It's, it's, it's bull and bear in Spanish for those who wow. haven't figured that out. That Toro so and Oso. That's very cool. Uh, so you have here, I'm looking at our time. You have four minutes and 12 seconds. Do you want to take, I'd love to give you the floor here and just talk about what what's going on over there. Anything new and exciting and just, you know, promote your, uh, promote your stuff. Well, what's exciting, uh, Toroso has been on a uh, very strong growth trajectory over the past several years. We've got three business lines. One is a wealth advisory business that works with individuals, families, uh, retirement uh, plans. And um, we also provide outsourced chief investment officer services through our investment arm. We have a number of systematic portfolios that we run. We are ETF nerds. We have a resource called the ETF Think Tank, uh, which you can find on Twitter. Um, where we work with advisors who want to better understand how to build portfolios using exchange-traded funds. And the third leg of the stool is a business where we consult with uh, potential ETF issuers. Um, it's called Title Solutions. And we are one of the sort of premier white label uh, services that assist folks in bringing exchange-traded funds to market. Uh, example would be SoFi, which most people have heard of. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to get into the ETF business but didn't want to do it themselves. So we essentially power the SoFi exchange-traded funds. Um, and that's just one example. We've got several of our own, including a uh, – we're, we're big – believers that the blockchain is here to stay whether that's you know whether whether dogecoin is here to stay is <laughs> a, a, a different topic but um we have an etf of our own called blok that you know is sort of all things blockchain um so that's that's a little thumbnail sketch of the full range of toroso activities yeah, and I will uh, drop a link if, if any of those interest a listener. I'll drop a link in the episode's bio and and feel free to reach out to and let me let me pull up here the you know, your official Twitter name uh, at at Vixologist. Simple That's as it. can be. Jim, I really appreciate you coming on. 
Uh, hopefully we can link up here in the future and, and keep this discussion going. Patrick, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be helpful. All right. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.